Hey there, NFT Curious listener. Ethan, Ethan, I'm remembering it from the plane on my way to join Setup for NFT LA. I hope I've curated some really fun plane background noise for you. Here's three pieces of super special time-sensitive intel for you, though. I want you to write these three links down. edgeofnft.com slash VIP, edgeofnft.com slash AR, and edgeofnft.com slash 3D. So, first, VIP tickets to NFTLA. You might know they are sold out. They've been selling out immediately when we post them. But actually, you can still get VIP access through some special vouchers that are trading on OpenSea. And if you go snag one now, you actually might get one at reduced cost. No guarantee on that. The floor price does appear to be moving up, uh, but check that out. This is an official reliable way to get uh, VIP for NFT savvy folks. And uh, it's truly legit. So you go to edgemnft.com VIP to check that out. The second point here, the Living Tree NFT collection, it is still coming very soon and generating a lot of buzz. Now we're gonna have a really awesome AR experience that people both at NFTLA and home can actually have with 3D art inspired by living trees. You should be able to do something like take a selfie with a 3D tree created by our eight our partners, Shaderverse and Rixmo. You can post it to social and actually get a green list spot uh, for this collection as well as have a chance for some other awesome prizes. So make sure you don't miss that, edgeofnft.com slash AR. Now finally, Shaderverse, one of the 3D and AR partners just mentioned, they're gonna be hosting an IRL after party event during NFTLA. This is for folks who would like to learn more about creating 3D art in Blender and making 3D NFT collections. Very cool stuff. You can network, learn, meet awesome folks in Web3 there, and of course, enjoy the party. So go to edgeofnft.com slash 3D to register for that. All right, there's my update. I got some, thank you so much. Got a tomato juice over there. All right, there's my update. Wish me a safe flight. We'll see you at NFTLA. Hi, this is Matt Sorg from Solana Labs, one of the leading blockchain networks. It's sustainable and fast with a stellar community. I'm here on the Edge of NFT podcast, a great podcast that also produces the NFTLA convention. I'm going and I'll see you there and keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how today's guest is helping to form the future of blockchain gaming. Why the intersection of machine learning, genomics, and gaming might be converging sooner than you think. And how the pawn world and NFT loans have collided into a game-changing offering for NFT holders. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 31st. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as soon as possible. You do not want to miss this epic event. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Matt Sorg, tech and product head of gaming at Solana. The high-performance blockchain with smart contract functionality 
that provides faster transaction times and cheaper fees than Ethereum. After a long history in gaming in 2017, Matt and a few colleagues at Riot started Coro, a gaming NFT marketplace and launcher. Through that experience, Matt recognized the importance of scaling blockchain solutions. Around May of last year, Matt started talking to Raj and Anatoly, co-founders of Solana, with the goal of collaborating on what a successful games ecosystem strategy would look like. After a thorough process of vetting the various blockchain scaling options, Matt joined the Solana team last year to lead the technical and product strategies around games. Matt, it's great to have you here. Hey, good to be here. Really excited about all this. Awesome. Yeah, Matt, super cool to have you. And you know, this this podcast focused on Solana has been a long time coming. There's definitely some NFT aficionados out there that live and breathe the Solana ecosystem, and we need to sort of dive in there. But maybe just to start things off, for our listeners that are less familiar, could you share the Solana origin story and how it currently serves the community, in particular around NFTs? Yeah, I believe the official origin story has to do with some cup of coffee, Anatoly, just you know, done on, a, on him. He has this long history with Qualcomm and a bunch of other things around syncing cell phone services around cell phone towers and stuff. And so it's kind of dawned on him one day how you could sync blockchain activity and kind of, you know, the shared clock problem is a very big one in games and or not games in blockchain. And so figuring out how to do that in a decentralized way was kind of the start of it. And then there's a bunch of other lore around an underwater hockey league <laughs> where half our co-founders came from and a bunch of things around that. But the long story short is, is the idea is to make a very high performance Blockchain, the proof of history is kind of the branded scalable solution, but there's about eight things that were, you know, taken around bottlenecks in, in various different places. So even these aren't theoretical limits like that, that that get posted. We can scale with hardware kind of arbitrarily. So it's because we it's not just, you know, 4,000 transactions per second, theoretical limit or whatever. We are hitting even upwards of 150,000 on test nets and we've never had a full block at live. So it's that's kind of like where we are and kind of yeah. what we offer. And how do you mm-hmm. fit into this story? And I hear you guys have like a fun, pretty large office now in sort of Northern California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're a very, very distributed team all around the world. And the really cool things about the way that our office works out is, is we've kind of pivoted them to being our in-person offices to anybody can work there, including our ecosystem team. So Phantom actually just works out of there because many people don't necessarily realize this, but uh, you know, a lot of the companies that are kind of associated with Solana are, are we don't own them or anything. It's just they're just ecosystem teams. So there's about 10 teams. Serum has been in and out of there and Saber Network, like a b- bunch of protocols just kind of go in and work work same office, like right next to myself and other people when they're when we're there, but they don't have to be. It's just that kind of shared workspace for the ecosystem. So very very web three, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, but how I fit in, so there's the protocol, which is like our core competency is making this, you know, very, very performant blockchain. And building on top of that, there's, you know, primitives, you know, the, the NFT solutions and things like that. And so my role is making sure that those primitives are meeting the needs of various, you know, types of verticals, like NF- the NFT kind of media, how to that, how to fix games, and so doing stuff with like DeFi payments and just making sure that everybody is set up for success, like all the, you know, people building on top of Solana and then communicating with our core engineering what 
is the next steps? Kind of how do we evolve to meet the needs of the next evolution of how all this stuff fits together? Yeah, man, I tell you, I don't know, Josh, I think we heard nonstop about Solana long before it really became, you know, kind of mainstream over the last couple of years from Justin Wu and other people that are just <laughs> banging on the door constantly, Solana, 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 check it out. You got to understand what it's bringing yep. to the table. I mean, you guys have really just continued to deliver on your promises, which is so hard to do in the space. So very cool to live up to those high expectations and really just getting started, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah, very much so. So Matt, I mean, people don't realize this. We've only been minting NFTs for about eight months now. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And we, and so, and we've minted about, or not we, but like the ecosystem has minted around eight million. So we're about a, and, and that's just accelerating. So it's, it's dude, yeah, it's, it's uh, bananas, man. It's, it's bananas. Yeah. Like so, we're, yeah, we're all about NFTs over here, and we always like to ask folks, like, what was your first exposure to NFTs, and was it like an immediate thing where you're like, there is something here, or was it a slower process for you? My first exposure was CryptoKitties. And I wouldn't say immediate until I started looking at the code and understanding, oh, there's this shared data that anybody can build on top of them. I think that maybe the moment that it dawned on me when people were making the, the hats, it's the silliest thing. You know, you have the, what's that game on Steam? Basically, we're like, hats is like this gamer lore. Where you're just like, oh, we just put a hat on it. And that makes it really fun. Team Fortress. And yeah, so when they started doing that in CryptoKitties and you didn't need CryptoKitties approval to just do this thing, but then Dapper Labs didn't care because they're just adding value to their CryptoKitties, that's when it clicked. It's like, wait a second, you can have all these people you know, building on top of your stuff, adding functionality, and you're happy about that. That fixes a lot of things in games. Right now, if you do that in games, like mods and other things, those are kind of toxic to the original developer because they don't see any value. They only get maybe the original purchase, maybe. But if it's a free-to-play game, that can be a very toxic environment. So I think that was, yeah, definitely my aha moment, hats. Yeah, so interesting, right? Like something like this, like little triggers right along the way. Yeah, because CryptoKitties, I think for a lot of people in the space right now, like that was that initial thing, but it wasn't like a lot of people didn't didn't cross that bridge. So it's always mm-hmm. interesting to hear about. That's cool. Really cool. So one of an, the outstanding moments for me with Solana and NFTs, I think it was at NFT NYC. I just kind of was wandering around in the evening, got separated from the rest of our crew and just hanging out at a, at a kind of nice hotel bar where, of course, a bunch of, you know, crypto people were there because of the convention. And I just met a few people who were just jazzed about Solana. <laughs> they just, they, they were very kind of connected to the sort of brand, if you want to call it that, or the ethos. I felt a very strong community spirit, you know. Is Subducks, is that on Solana? Ooh, it was something gonna... ducks. It was something ducks. There was like a there's duck definitely related some ducks. I, yeah. I don't know the exact. There, yeah, there's some duck related thing, and they they were these two guys who just met because of this mm-hmm. NFT project on Solana, and they could both be like really excited about it. So I guess, you know, I haven't seen that kind of, I'm sure it's there in different ways, kind of like a community spirit around Solana, almost like a grassroots kind of thing. I want to know, like, what do you think of as the trade-offs when you think of Solana and you compare it to other chain options, you know, both inside and out of NFTs, I'm sure we we could ask. Yeah, let's see. So... I definitely agree with you on the community aspect, kind of what I was describing earlier, where, where you have these anybody's in and out of our ecosystem can come in and out of our offices and kind of work together. Web3 is, to me, I think one, outside of what lives in the consumer-facing part, 
the company is actually a fascinating development that's going on right now where everybody has the shared data and is building on, on that. And there's this, this composability because of that, that anybody's financially incentivized to find a gap in the ecosystem and work with the other people, which is drastically different than a Web2 company where you have some sort of like C-suite or whatever overlord saying, you build this, you build this, you build this. Maybe there's some competition, but most of like you have, you know, you fit within these very defined parameters where in Web3, everybody's just financially incentivized to find their place. So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty universal. I, I guess for, for Solana, the reason why this is relevant is because everybody's trying to scale and, and even, even Ethereum is trying to scale to meet the needs, but Solana is the only one who's doing it in a shared state. So anybody who mints on Solana or, you know, develops on Solana can use any programs from anybody else's developing. So if somebody comes up with some really cool liquidity sort of lending protocol or betting protocol or anything like that, anybody on the whole ecosystem can use it. You don't have to figure out how to copy and paste it to yours, which really matters for liquidity reasons, because if that protocol requires there to be some sort of liquidity pool attached to it, I, how do I bridge the right amount over relative to... You, know, you start running into a lot of issues when you start doing that, and especially in terms of like the utility of each of the NFTs. And then also just the way that our consensus mechanism works, it has a lot less forking. This gets really technical, but for the user point of view, it is time to finality. It feels very much like Web2, how quickly you can even buy, like, you know, buy an NFT and, and have it come to your wallet. There's less of that like terror of while well, the spinny thing and having the network confirm it and all that stuff. It just happens so quickly when, when in the, the throughput. And part of the reason why that can be so quick is we do, we're the only chain that I know of, at least, that does parallel co computation on chain. So if basically if two people are, you know, if people are buying stuff or, or trading stuff or whatever they're doing, voting on things, and they're not accessing the, the same memory to do so. So maybe like you and I are trading and then Josh and Jeff are trading. Those would, could be happening parallel on Solana, different threads, basically. And that's how we scale with, yeah, compute relative to other chains that are all inherently single-threaded because they don't have as tight a data model as we do. Now, the trade-offs of that is that data model is slightly more complex. It's not. A, it's, it's a much lower level language because you're having to program which allocations are where and kind of do kind of some serialization, deserialization, basically a bunch of hash tables. So it is a little bit, if you have to do on-chain programming, which a lot of times you don't have to do, by the way, we can get into that if you want to, but the execution is separated from the data. So if something is ex an executable, you actually don't have to redeploy. So most like NFTs, you don't actually read, you don't have to copy and paste the core programming like you do on Open Zeppelin on the EVM world. So that's a positive. But the negative is if you do have to do some custom logic, you know, it is a little bit more, you're managing more things. It's like kind of the difference between maybe C++ and C. Uh, Rust and Solana is more like that lower level language. And then I guess between us and like the other scalable solutions that are doing shards, they, you have a little bit more configuration options on your specific shards. So if you wanted to sacrifice maybe some decentralization for more efficient cost or something like that, you can. Now, obviously Solana is very cheap in terms of transactions, but in order for all this very fast memory management and stuff, the rent is going to be a little bit cheaper than if you're, you know, managing 40, only 40 nodes and like essentially a private network. And you can have some of those, you can define some of those trade-offs in your subnet or your, your side chain. So it just kind of depends on how much decentralization you want and how much do you want to be on the shared state with everything else? Yeah, that's kind of the main, like that cost. But the the computation model is so efficient that even, even we're even cheaper than side chains, just the way it works. Mm. Thanks for that. So 
Yeah, compelling case for sure. So I had to take a, a moment here and note for your uh, pleasure, Ethan, there are several duck-related projects. On yeah, Solana. I'm sure. Ducks <laughs> <laughs> are popular. Apes are very popular too, I hear. Yes. <laughs> Dazed yes. ducks, <laughs> Danger Valley ducks, Solana ducks, Soul ducks. And, I think it's uh, Soul ducks. That sounds it? like yeah, Secret ducks. Duck, yeah, it goes on. It goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you can uh, imagine. <laughs> look out for edge of NFT ducks. <laughs> Eventually, it will satisfy Rule 34, all in Solana. <laughs> well, so Matt, besides the proliferation of duck projects, which I don't think is necessarily true in traditional gaming, there might be one or two duck games out there, but there's a lot of duck stuff going on. A lot of fun concepts and projects and ways of sort of giving gamers more joy. I don't know what the word is for the joy of gaming, but there should be a word for that, right? The, the joy of driving, the joy of gaming. But sort of when you look at that sort of spectrum of what's out there, how do you feel the current perception of blockchain gaming is shifting and how does that influence your work at Solana? There's been a lot of different perspectives on blockchain gaming and yeah. and how serious the traditional gaming industry is taking it. So, so maybe you can share your perspective. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of av- avenues that we could take this conversation. I think there's some that are really well documented, like you know, the amount of scams and kind of how early we are on. But there's another one that I kind of want to talk about that's a little bit more, I don't know, conceptual that I think that you've kind of touched on in, in these in your opening and other things that I think would be great to talk about, which is games for a lot of people are an escape from everyday life. And there is this worry that the minute you start adding real life exposure to that, then it becomes less of a game and more about you know, it, things just necessarily become a job the moment there's any sort of capital or monetization in there. And nothing like that's just a binary thing. There's nothing that the evolution of blockchain or any sort of change will happen that will change that fact once that once that goes in. So uh, that one's I think is really interesting because it is just true. Now, I think that the way we think about that is I don't think all games will necessarily need the same type of NFT integrations. So some of this is just a kind of a battle of pay to win versus, you know, different types of free to play, pay to win versus vanity content and stuff like that. But even the vanity content, even that and right today, it is still a walled garden and you just pay and they pay some money and then you get a skin back and you can't trade it. Some people actually prefer that. And I know that's a very foreign concept for a lot of people listening right now. Why would people not want to own that skin that they got? But it is this entry of the normal life of, I don't want to become a marketplace when I enter a game. You know, I want this walled garden experience where I'm, I just want to consume when I enter this. I don't want to enter a movie experience where I have to make some decisions around that. Now, part of this is actually a bit of a difference in perspective around like the way marketplaces and, and kind of like how we interact with our stuff. So if you go up like an income bracket, wealthy people very rarely, even for entertainment stuff, spend something, spend a significant amount of their money or percentage of their money on something they can't resell, potentially even for more money. So there's this, this cultural difference there. Like rich people spend it on houses and boats and cars and like all these things that they can actually resell pretty easily, where I think the lower levels are really in, really used to not doing that. They, they, they one-off tickets or things that are so cheap that they don't really have a resale value even if they wanted to resell it. And so I actually think part of this is maybe switching the narrative a little bit 
where once they start seeing that, hey, there actually is value in being able to resell some of the stuff that you once owned, then you can start seeing how it's not as toxic as you may think it is to be, you know, especially once the hype deals goes down. Right now we're in this kind of like, everything's so new and so hyped and everything's like so crazy that I can understand there's like some skepticism around the money. But, you know, let's say five, 10 years from now, you just kind of lower the difference between like a rich person owning something and a poor person owning something or like, you know, that that gap isn't as as huge. And part of that's because you just lowered the friction at the lowest level from being able to actually, you know, get that back. And that ownership actually means something a lot more for your time. You can just put up on a marketplace and if anybody buys it, they buys it. And so you can actually have like a wider distribution of people who can, you know, get returns on their time. And that's like a pretty foreign concept today because if I buy like a $100 loan lawnmower, I'm not realistically reselling that very much, but this kind of allows you to do that. And I think that is a very powerful concept. I think part of it's just seeing that being done successfully and kind of normalizing that in a way that's healthy. And I think the first step for that, like kind of way it affects our strategy at, at Salon Labs is like the kind of the first, I think, major things that will take off, especially in the West, are actually user-generated content. Because people are pretty comfortable giving money to creators. And if you're giving it to a creator who wouldn't have created that content maybe anyway, unless you paid them, and it would have been kind of hard for them to create a whole company for like Roblox, for instance. You, a lot of the big creators in that have to make these big companies and do all this stuff. But if you put it on the blockchain, you can just have people collaborate and everybody knows how much royalty they're going to get off that content. So I think that concept has affected our strategy a lot. It's pretty helpful to understand that context. I think a lot of folks don't don't think about all those things that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, you know, I guess it's also a lot of it is an outgrowth of, of how you're structured as an organization, that community base, that foundation. And I'm curious, just to go back a little bit, you know, for a moment. So you have a lot of folks with like really legitimate web to experience as, you know, executives or in that executive realm with big companies and the structure of those companies, the processes, like the the different positions that people have in those companies. So I'm thinking like, what's the, you know, for folks that are really looking to build something, you know, sustainable, scalable, repeatable in this space, talk for a second about like your organizational structure around things like the boring stuff, the admin stuff, like how is this structured? Do you have a regular HR department? Do you have like, you know, how do you handle things like vacation and employment offers and insurance and licensing and things like that? I mean, is there this layer, this foundational, this business layer that exists even in a company that is so Web3 and and future oriented? That was a fun question. One that is really close to my heart. So I'm a two-time founder. And so, and I have found in my career, I have a little bit of hard time working for like many, many layers of stuff above me that doesn't have very much clarity. And yeah, working in Web3, you have a lot more clarity on what your incentives are and where you you fit into that. And Solana Labs, uh, we are not going to become a big organization almost at any any scale of us. We're going to, if any one part of it gets too large, we're going to just set it off in its own entity with us. Once it has those clear goals, it's going to become its own its own entity. We've just done this with Metaplex, for example, which is now a separate company that comes up with like NFT standards and, and other things in this, yeah, makes all these like plug and play, like white labeled solutions to making your own marketplaces. And so that's awesome. 
Like think, think that never happens. It, it, almost the reverse happens in big Web two land where there's just all these acquisitions, and you still see acquisitions for sure. But when you can maintain that that lower size, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about doesn't need to be exist as much. The yeah, the incentives and the attribution is way more clear. It's not perfect. It's not like you get away from the fact that there is going to be some yeah lack of clarity on who did what to get the actual outcome. But you still have you're still much smaller, so it's way easier for you to understand which part of the organization came to, to what parts of the outcome. You don't need like entire like VP level looking around to make sure that the allocations are in the exact right spots as much. It's like that rule of one fifty. So as you kind of Keep it that these smaller groups, you can be way more nimble and you can do way more per person because you don't have these layers of redundancy or just, you know, a bunch of people that don't even necessarily have a path. And then, it, like I was saying earlier, all the sub teams that just kind of get created or, you know, that are now companies instead of sub teams, they have the incentive to figure it out. You know, you don't have to be an HR person or, you know, some C-suite like telling them, oh, you need to iterate or whatever. They just, they do it or they die, you know? And then what's really cool about it is this is so new that even if you, even like the failure coast just means that you usually have tons of opportunities to go to one of the other companies that is doing well. So it's super healthy. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Like, so let me ask real specifically though, if somebody wants to take a day off, is there a vacation policy? Is somebody enforcing a vacation policy like very specifically? <laughs> I'm not gonna say all Web3 companies have open vacation policies, <laughs> yeah. but everybody's just kind of, I mean, it's very, just like anything is flexible with, like everything is just so flexible. Like there's, right. there's weeks where I basically get up in the morning and like work the full week, like especially we're in the middle of this kind of a hacker month. Mm, so this month, yeah, yeah it's been especially, I've just kind of like worked a lot. But then, you know, if I want to take a Wednesday off, I don't really even ask anybody. You know, no one's going to, as long as I manage my schedule, everybody trusts me. So yeah, like I think that is awesome. That's the kind of like work style that like kind of gets me going because I, I can, you know, optimize to like when I have certain inspiration to work. Yeah, yeah man. That's so cool. That's so interesting, man. So another aspect of it that's also really compelling is this drive toward, you know, sustainable blockchain development, right? And so mm -hmm. Solana is right there at the the leading edge of this. And I'm curious as to, you know, the goals, the near-term goals and long-term goals Solana has around continuing that drive towards sustainability. Do you mean in terms of the environment or being able to have the economic incentives to develop even at maturity? Let's say both, because I think both are relevant. Yeah. Okay. The first one's pretty easy, actually. I think if the blockchain started off as proof of stake, they wouldn't have had this association with, yeah, the environmental impacts. We are like a transaction on Solana is essentially like a two Google searches is kind of the way we do it. But it's it's basically we used up more energy. We're using up more energy in this call than we are like the, the the blockchain itself running transactions. So it's we also offset it. So we do care. This is one of the major reasons why I came to Solana is just looking at how it scales and how it will scale to the quantities that it will need to to have, you know, web two type impact and kind of that kind of competitive with NASDAQ and with, you know, gaming solutions and other things like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty... And we are coming up with actual validator so like our nodes basically being economically incentivized basically pay for carbon offsets and stuff like that built directly into the protocol we were playing around with some stuff like that and collecting a lot of feedback from validators which is a really interesting thing so basically once you start having like this pool of resources for people who pay for carbon offsets 
then you can you can do it either through donations or through some small like percentage that people kind of pay into that's voted on by the ecosystem. You can offset the chain pretty easily. Like it's not very much money either. So you're talking, you know, five figures a year. It's not necessarily because it's so because we run so efficiently. Yeah, that's now impressive. The, the other topic I think is a very interesting one. Like you could argue that like what is the economic incentive for Bitcoin developers to develop today, you know, they would need a donation and things like that. And that one's also an interesting one. One is very similar to the concept I just said, where maybe the community would vote on the income of like basically a percentage of validator income that would go towards Solana Labs or, or, or things like that. There's also potential for, you know, staking rewards or you know, just similar to other nonprofits where you would take donation based the sky's kind of the limit there. We also potentially can come with a services organization, kind of like a Red Hat or something like that, where because we are the main contributors to the chain, then we would have some you know, ability to also have a core competency to get paid for managed services. That one's a little less sexier to us because we kind of want, like I was saying earlier, like I think we, we see some pretty realistic paths to each of the core systems that make up Solana to actually break off and just be separate entities over time and even have some redundancy in those entities and then just have attribution models that go to that and get paid out through a DAO. And it seems pretty realistic. And then they would just have their deliverables that they would deliver off to and get paid through the DAO for those deliverables. Very similar to uh, bug with it, bug bounties work today. They would just be deliverable bounties. Right on. Yeah, it got, got such a critical part of the whole thing to keep it going, to keep it evolving, to keep it developing as things change over time. If those mm-hmm. incentives are misaligned, right? Then where does it go? You know? Exactly. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, one of the things we see with blockchains also is it's not sustainable if you're kind of uh, just in internal, right? I mean, you got to build partnerships. You, you got to help other people build the ecosystem with you. Yep. You know, so that's why you mm-hmm. see these various chains, you know, helping to support the NFT projects, for example, that want to build on them, things like that. So on that note, you know, any partnerships you guys are excited about, you want to, you know, tell us about starting going on, things you want to announce and share. Yeah. The partnerships department. Wow. Well, there's awesome things happening. We know there's <laughs> going to be a partnership with Edge of NFT Ducks, but we, we can talk about that later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can show that one as much. One that just came out today that we're really excited about, Angelic announced their fundraising round uh, in Solana Ventures was part of it. And they're, they're building on Solana. That's a game. It's a yeah, AAA quality kind of team, uh, tactics based game. It's amazing. I play tested it a lot. I actually still play it. Got a lot of replayability because they have a bunch of basically challenges within it, like using which units and yeah, because some of them are more powerful than others and they have a bunch of things around scores. So it's it's got a lot of replayability and you can do things like put achievements on chain and like get different units. So that one's really cool. Yeah, AAA Studio out of out of Turkey. And then there's a bunch of other ones. I'm trying to think about what I can, I can talk about today. <laughs> there's just so much going on. It's hard to remember like what... Yeah, you can uh, talk about what, all of the things. Like if you just want to list for us like the things that you can't talk about, just you yeah. go for that first, you know, just get them out of the way so we can yeah, make sure, sure we know what you're not supposed to talk about. That's and, perfect. You know, I think, I think one of the other thing that's so related to the economic incentive of having awesome builders, another good example is Fractal coming on to Solana. So Justin Khan, former co-founder of Twitch, you know, chose a chain to, to launch on and it was Solana. And part of that's because we don't compete with that, you know, that market. And so they are doing a lot of really, really cool things that are gamer-focused marketplace stuff. And we are happy to like 
be in a shared Slack and like help them contribute. And but yeah, they're definitely a separate entity and and doing a lot of really cool things in this space. We're also really excited about cross-platform futures. So obviously they'll you know eventually take other you know games and other things and other ecosystems. Yeah, because they're a platform. But let me think about like. Oh, Shaq's, <laughs> the Australis. The, so Shaq has a NFT that just dropped a few days ago. That was pretty funny. Nice. He's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, well, maybe that's a good segue to a question I have for you, which is sort of looking ahead. What should we expect from the world of Solana in terms of streaming uh, and NFTs the rest of this year? Yeah. So my sense of this is that studios that are very interested in the user experience and yeah, making the best game and, and monetization as part of that are choosing Solana. So it's a lot of people who are just very interested in performance, very interested in you know, having their users, you know, building a great game and not having friction anywhere else. So that just a lot of people are building on Solana and a lot of really seasoned game makers are building on Solana because they want to be at a place where they can concentrate on the game and they don't have to battle with the underlying technologies that they're using in order to provide a good user experience. And Solana just gives you that out of the box. We have like a lot of things that are just plug and play, especially in terms of minting NFTs. That's why 8 million have been minted because you know a lot of people can mint them. It's not exactly hard. And then, yeah, so there's some very big, very exciting games. You'll, you'll hear some announcements going on, but there's some anything from these like really hardcore you know, MMOs and battle royales and and like very tight economic games all the way to, you know, nice, just fun experiences that are, you can kind of mint your achievements and mint other other aspects of it. And so I think that's what gets me excited is the fact that there is a lot of diversity coming onto Solana because it's pretty, you know, it's, it's just a base level of, you know, data and computation. So it doesn't really lend itself to one versus the other more than anything of that. It's just a great place to... Yeah, mint NFTs. I'm just kind of curious, is there like an equivalent version of you in other divisions of Solana thinking about the future of Solana when it applies to like regenerative agriculture and, you know, B2B cases and, you know, maybe some of the other, you know, use cases for like music and whatnot? Like, do you have peers kind of thinking about all these other use cases for Solana? Yeah, definitely. Gaming touches basically everything. <laughs> Just like because it's a bit entertainment, it's a bit, you know, content, it's also very high tech, you know, also audio, also all these things. That's the beauty of gaming. And that's why kind of gaming is just starting to lose its term actually it's it's just becoming so a they all report to you different <laughs> actually sort of <laughs> we have like a cross-discipline tech team and i run that but i concentrate on games just because games are yeah a fantastic place to get because our, our main goal is to get a billion users having a great time self-signing like basically owning their wallets self-custody on solana and so gaming is one of the fastest ways of getting us there so I kind of, it's not management. It's like, so again, it's very different than Web3. Like I run the kind of like the, make the collaboration and make sure that across disciplines and we're communicating with each other so that we can scale a lot of the things guess, that are happening and then compute. Yeah. I guess another way of asking is there, is there something that's sort of a little bit outside the traditional definition of gaming sort of happening this year that you're excited about sort of in like the B2B space or the entertainment space, maybe that just doesn't fit sort of the overall context of of the podcast as we've discussed sort of the gaming use cases of Solana. 
Yeah. I mean, we're Solana Pay is, I think, a very interesting case because it allows you to basically do normal point of sale with receipts and itemized all that stuff just in a transaction. It's maybe not as sexy, I guess, of what you're asking. But one of the really cool things of, that we're thinking about is a lot of this combined collaboration. So built into our actual protocol, you can have multiple royalty givers. But one of the things that's like next layer on top of that is how do you combine people who weren't necessarily part of the original asset, the original like PFP, for example, and they can still contribute. And maybe the original asset people say, sign off and say, yes, this is part of my collection. And so instead of one PFP, maybe you have a folder of assets that all fit that PFP. So you have an audio attached to it. You have an animation, you have 3D asset, you have various qualities of 3D assets attached to it. So you then start thinking of that's where you start thinking about its interoperability with a bunch of stuff. So you could have like the Roblox version of the, your board ape and somebody, you don't necessarily have to make it either. Somebody else could just make it for you. And you just, as the owner of the board ape or, you know, the certifying entity would just say, yes, this is part of the collection. And you have options for doing that. So that's, I think that's kind of related because that the sky's the limits with that. Who knows what people are going to be creating within that paradigm. It's going to be audio. It's going to be, I don't even know, holographic images and the whole cinematics. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Very cool. Nice, dude. But look, outside of the Solana universe, like where do you like really, you know, feel like there are points of inspiration for you? Like what's, what's what gets hmm. you jazzed outside of just your kind of day to day, you know? Wow. I mean, I think I'm technologist. So the things that really get me excited, I guess, are various things that are happening in machine learning. So I came from Unity where I headed up a team that was doing reinforcement learning. So teaching things how to play games. Mm -hmm. And so the part of the reason why I, I went to blockchain is kind of this decentralization of way of getting knowledge. And I think that can really help reinforcement learning in a lot of ways. It's, it it's really technical, but that's one place that actually kind of inspires me is how do you get more information and enable more things to, to provide information. I guess the other one, honestly, is like, I don't know if it's inspiration for what I do day to day, but just things around like gene editing and CRISPR, I think that's just potentially going to fundamentally change the way that we as humans live. And not that I say, not that I think we should be generating our own DNA just yet. <laughs> I, that's pretty scary because once, it, once it's in there, it's hard to get it out there. But just like in terms of like therapies and other things and, and the way we grow our crops and other things like that. I think those are some fantastic things. And so I think the way it, it, it doesn't exactly relate to what I do day to day, but it does relate to once you, the more and more things that you can enable people to have the appropriate incentives to do creative things. And that's like what blockchain allows. Then you have more and more people who could be creating on these other things. So I don't know, five years from now, I might be able to produce a gene sequence that's awesome. And I can just put it up to the open bidder and or whatever paradigm I want to do. And people could just maybe pay per use of it or whatever. Same, same way with a machine learning model. Somebody could just have some really novel machine learning model, put it up on a blockchain for you know somebody to use and spend a dollar each usage or whatever. So imagine if like GP3 was just, you know, pay per use on the blockchain, then it would just go up to the open bidder and then you could do a bunch of really cool things around open access. And that doesn't necessarily need to be like Microsoft's open AI that made it. Mm -hmm. It could just be some person who made it. And so you, as a individual, like, you know, a technologist like me, I don't have to worry about some large hierarchy of anything. I just need to find where my model might be able to serve a purpose and just put it up there, give some open examples of how it's doing something good and everybody can see it. And then once you kind of kind of prove that in an open way, 
people will be able to use it. And so I think that's kind of what, what inspires me is as getting to those kind of open usage of everything. Yeah, man. No, it's all coming together, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. Those things I think are in our future. So we interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Koi Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high energy usage of old school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? Amazing stuff across the board. We'd love to hear more from you. If we had hours like Rogan, man, we I think we could sit here and talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> but we do got to move on. Although we will see you down at NFT LA, so maybe yeah, we so, can yeah. uh, maybe we can hear some more from you down there, man. So we want to move on to segment two, which is called Edge Quick Hitters. It's a fun way to get to know you a little bit better. There's 10 questions. We're looking for short, single word or fewer responses, but we may go a little deeper here or there. You ready to dive in on these bad boys? Yeah, let's do it. All right, brother, let's do it. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? You know, it's, it's really funny when you, when I first read this in the the brief, I can't help but think about the first thing I ever stole. <laughs> and, that nice. is, and I can't unsee it in my mind. There you go. I was on this like family trip and I we were at this, I don't know, trinket shop because it was like obviously on some you know, vacation spot. And I stole a weird necklace that was just related to the area that we were. And I had no money. I was, I don't know, four years old. And I really wanted it. And my mom said no. And I said, well, I don't have any other recourse other than to steal it. So I'm going to do that. And she they clearly knew that I stole it because we we're in the car and I was wearing it. <laughs> and like, did you steal that, Matt? I'm like, no, I found $10. And it was like, of course, like the biggest lie. And they're like, well, we don't want to make this awkward for the rest of the 12-hour trip. So we just drove. <laughs> like, they didn't even like say anything. It was like they didn't know how to handle that as parents. It was really funny. So I think the first things I actually bought with my own money with like money that I made was magic cards. That was my first purchase. Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, let's continue that thread, man. What was the last thing you remember stealing? No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> Question two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? I'm a huge gamer, obviously. I think that one is pretty easy. So I was one of these people on the playground who was really good at pogs and I would practice and I would was really diligent about it. And like, this is something that, yeah, definitely the algorithmic thinking in me figured out the right way to throwing things. And so anyway, anyway, I won a lot of pogs. So I would sell them back to people that I would take them from. That was, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Question three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? When I moved to Seattle, my movers lost two of my clothes luggage. So I've just been rebuying all of my clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's really boring. That's basically it. A necessity though. Uh, well, maybe not as much as it used to be, but question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? You know, I don't really have, I don't really set up a shop. I guess 
when I moved, I probably sold a few things. I probably sold my like this my old rickety desk off of my Craigslist or something. Yeah, that's yeah, probably makes it. Sense. four months ago. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Question five: What is your most prized possession? Yeah, yeah that one's kind of easy. So this gap right here is because there's skis that are just like they're over there. I'm too lazy to put them back up. But those are my most most prized possession. What normally resides here? Any reason they're down? They just haven't yeah, made just, it up. I was using them. I was just oh, using them. Oh, there we go. That's what we want. That's <laughs> they're, what we they're, want. they're sitting over there because they're in the in their like travel case. Yeah, yeah nice. and just just to make it clear to the listener here that so right behind Matt's got a great setup. He's clearly prepared for this. He's got a nice mic. He's got a nice oh, background. Yeah. The background here is is skis, and there's a handful of them on on the wall there. But yes, there's a blank spot. And then he told us before the program. The other thing that's behind him is just a ton of lanyards from like yeah, uh, yeah. conferences and conventions and stuff like that. And he did promise us before the show that he's going to be, uh, for our giveaway today, he's going to be giving away his, his skis. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just kidding. <laughs> Moving on. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you got your eye on? I think experiences tend to be the biggest lift. So I'd probably do something that would be one of those, I don't know, sailing tours around the world or something like that, you know, where it's like, you just take a little while off, have a bunch of, I don't know, just great adventures, kind of sailing around the world under my own power, well, not my own power, but like, you know, without an engine and just kind of doing it. Because I spend so much of my time on the core technology and stuff. So I think that's if I could just get that really intense get away and just kind of be on the open sea. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, nice break. Are you a sailor already or would you have to learn? No, that's that's part there of the reason. Oh, nice. Get me in there. I mean, I've, I have been on a sailboat and like spend things, but certainly no certification or anything. Cool. <laughs> An adventure awaits. Mm-hmm. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Oh, wow. I think that the way that humanity is evolving kind of like with misinformation and like kind of like our social media and stuff, I think it's really hard to like maintain an appropriate level of trust in kind of your fellow man. And I think there's like just that kind of not blind, but optimism to, and uh, toward your, yeah. Like we're all way closer to each other than we probably realize when all you see is the way we, ways we are dissimilar. Those are the most like interesting for our eyeballs. Yeah, so I think the next generation, if we could like bring that back. And so it's like having awesome interactions with each other and that be the, the default. And then, you know, definitely not blind optimism, like to still have that, you know, under thinking for yourself. But I think that would, every generation would like greatly benefit from that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, man. Question eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Oh, geez. I think for a long time, I had a really hard time concentrating on any one thing, kind of like, you know, so many distractions and, you know, whatever, and just like wanting to do everything. Yeah. And so I think I've learned, I'm learning still very much how to focus on one things and just how powerful that can be, you know, focus on one thing at a time, not necessarily think focus on just one thing in life, but for this next 30 minutes, I'm focusing on this thing for this next 30 minutes, I'm focusing on this thing. And that can be a very powerful concept. Yeah, for sure. We're glad we got your focus I don't know if it's a for the show. Trait, but the oh, desire yeah. to focus on one thing, yeah, constantly. Hundred percent is yes. Be present. There it is. Question nine: What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was talking to somebody who's about to join Solana Labs. Yeah, a fellow engineer. 
Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And last one, question 10, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Welcome a new Solana <laughs> member to the gaming team, actually. Nice. Uh, yeah, if you get so, we're hiring. Yeah, there it is. All right. <laughs> it's always that pitch. But yeah, yeah welcoming a lot of people today because we're, we're doing really awesome things and yeah, I like to collaborate with people. With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is demand has skyrocketed for another asset, thanks in part to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is, all shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020 outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edgeofnft.com masterworks. That's edgeofnft.com masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Oof, sounds like it, man. Amazing. Well, that's Edge Quick Hitters. Thanks for playing with us, bud. We appreciate it. And I guess the word on the street is we got a very special hot topic for today. Ethan, yeah. you want to bring us in? Sure. Well, let's bring a fresh face in here to the call. He's He's been with us unseen. He, he just joined us. His name's Gabe Frank. Hey, Gabe, how's it going? Give us a little testing one, two, three on your setup there. Test, test. Beautiful. Great to have you here. Yeah. So today's hot topic features this fine gentleman, Gabe Frank from Arcade. He is the CEO. It's the most sophisticated DeFi NFT lending infrastructure, a third generation pawnbroker. Gabe helped run the family business of nine storefronts under the name Benny's Pawn, founded in 1947 and eventually acquired in 2016. An early NFT enthusiast and DFI advocate, Gabe brings expertise from consumer and traditional financial markets to Arcade, having previously supported BitGo, growing their digital asset custody to over $1 billion, and assisted BitGo Prime in building an institutional lending book to over $150 million. Welcome, Gabe. It's good to have you here and chat yeah. a little bit about Arcade. Yeah, and it's going to be great to see you, Gabe, in LA. Just think we're about two weeks out as we're taping the show, which is really exciting. And Matt's going to be there as well. And he's familiar with Arcade. But for our listeners at home, why don't you kick off by telling us a little bit about Arcade and what you guys have been building? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. So Arcade is a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform for NFT collateral. So our platform allows holders of NFTs to collateralize their NFTs, meaning they can get loans from NFT assets that they hold in their wallet. So it's a completely non-custodial protocol, meaning we don't take custody of the assets and we don't have control of any of the money movement. It's all governed by our smart contracts. So the idea, the, the impetus when we started was to do two things. It was to enable price discovery on these assets, this was about two years ago, and to enable secondary liquidity. And to do that, we decided to spec out this peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, which kind of looks like a pawn shop. So a pawn shop takes custody of an asset and they give a loan on that asset. 
And if the borrower doesn't come back to pay off the loan plus interest, then the pawn shop keeps the asset. But in this case, the lender can keep the asset if the borrower doesn't come back. So these lenders will be bullish these collections either way because they don't care if the borrower comes back to pay them interest or if the borrower defaults and they have to keep the asset. You know, that's great unless like it's a gaming asset where a lot of the value comes from playing the game and then they actually have to know how to play the game. They might have to reach out to Matt for some lessons there. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen any in-game assets come to the platform yet, but that's one of the issues we're facing is when an asset is inside escrow for a loan, it can't be used on any of the platforms, right? There are ways around that. There's projects working on how to make that easier. But yeah, we focus mostly on on like the high value profile picture art, art stuff as well. So the punks, the apes, people, ferocious packs, and these kind of high market cap artists. Yeah, dude. And so like if something is on loan, right, at that moment, the utility, like with so many of these things, is is of massive value. How does that play into it? Are they able to actually leverage that utility or is that just is that locked up? while they've got that asset on loan. Yeah, I mean, the assets that are in loan today, they don't really have utility. Like punks, the utility is that they're, they're just the OG collection. They're, they're considered yeah. grails. Apes, there's an airdrop coming. And we have a way for users to claim airdrop when their assets in, in escrow. But yeah, I mean, I think you, NFTs will start to have much more utility than they do today. And, and that becomes a bigger part of it. It's like, how can the user still use the asset, but take liquidity from it? Right on, man. So definitely part of the roadmap here as you look ahead. For sure. Cool. So yeah, and we heard something about this like massive loan associated with zombies, I guess, that you guys had had come together, right? Like what's the scoop on that? Largest on-chain art basket loan? Is that is that correct? Yeah. So we've had two things. We've had the largest on-chain art basket loan. So it was uh, 10 assets that were one-on-one art pieces from various artists. And that was for 1.25 million USDC was a six-month loan at about 15% interest. The borrower on that is a well-known collector. His name's Silver Surfer. He's he's super bullish on all the art stuff. His favorite artist is Pac, and he sees these things as collectible items. So he's not going to let them go for very cheap or for very easy. He's, he's going to try and pay back that loan and get his assets back. The zombie loan is pretty interesting because it was two assets, and the loan was for 1,250 ETH at the time, which is about $3.5 million. That was for two months at a pretty high interest rate. It was 34% APR. So somebody who's taking out that loan needs to know that they can beat 34% APR over the two months that they have the funds. So it's a big whale collector, kind of a DeFi power user in the space, as most of our users are today. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Let's see if what his plan you know, worked out. Yeah, have, yeah, you, uh, have you slain any whales then? Has <laughs> anybody... Their plans we're not, not that fell through. No, yeah, we're not in the business of whale hunting or anything like that. <laughs> but he doesn't want to lose his assets. Th- those are right. two like very unique, very rare assets, part of CryptoPunk collection. You know, yeah, he's going to come back for those assets. I'm, I'm curious if you have any sense of, of trends in what people want to do with those loans. Like maybe you do, maybe you don't. I mean, they could be using it for like a business investment that's in or outside of crypto that they're you know almost certain there's going to be some sort of return on. Maybe cheap whiskey or I don't know, but like, what what do you see in terms of trends that people might be willing to put these on loan like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the use cases are different. It's like the first use case is arbing rates in DeFi. So you get a loan on your NFT for 15% APR, you go on yield farm on ribbon or on looks rare for 40%, 50% APY. 
So those are kind of like the opportunistic plays. Other use cases we've seen are entrepreneurs that have businesses and they're reinvesting in themselves. Those guys will probably keep the borrow perpetual, meaning they'll just service the interest and keep the money outstanding. And kind of the third use case is to buy more NFTs. So just kind of levering up and, and using the money more efficiently. Maybe you had the same question, Josh. I was going to ask Matt what he might be interested in pawning and for how much. You need oh, to somebody strapped for cash, man. What? You know, it's, it's funny you ask because <laughs> I own a decent amount of NFTs at this point, but I honestly have no idea how much any of them is worth. And I, pro- I think part of it is probably because it's liquidity issue. So I've, I've been tracking things like Arcade because I never really want to sell them. But if I had other options, right. I, would, I would consider it. You definitely seem like the kind of sharp cat, though. Maybe you don't have the time for it, but where you would kind of do the math and you'd figure it out and you'd put yeah, these things yeah. on loan. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I'm sort of curious, like one of the aspects of this is the valuation process and, and sort of thinking about this similar to like art collateralization. I'm sure you guys have looked at that use case. You know, how does that sort of impact your model and what's on the roadmap? Yeah, so the art world's a really good comparison for what's happening right now on the platform. You have owners of Picassos and Monet's and Da Vinci's that take loans against that stuff all the time. So like Bank of America is one of the largest lenders against art. They have a $10 billion book. Those art borrowers are usually more sophisticated. They're wealthy people. They're billionaires. They reinvested into land or, or what have you, reappraise the assets every year at a higher valuation, get more money out of it. And kind of that's that's the way the world works. I don't know. Um, if you're in Web3, you got to be pretty sophisticated to actually like even know how to use a MetaMask wallet. <laughs> definitely technical expertise. Yeah. I would just say, you know, art borrowers, anybody who's buying a $100 million piece is a billionaire. And billionaires, what they're really good at is use, is capital efficiency. So investing and levering up and using that money more efficiently. We do have sophisticated users, of course, in DeFi. They know what they're doing. Can't make a loan to Bank of America and go yield farm looks rare. But yeah, I mean, there's $2 trillion of privately held art. And there's about the art lending markets, about a $30, $40 billion market. So that's the big comparison of what we're doing today, because they're mostly high value NFTs. What's the size of the high value NFT market today? Yeah, so I think the entire universe of assets is like 40 billion for NFTs. But the blue chips, punks, apes, art stuff, probably 10, 15 billion. Cool. We're catching up fast, it sounds like. Oh, for sure. And it's it's going to far exceed art because that's just one vertical that NFTs can be. So when you think of it like that, it's, it's in the trillions. It's very cool, man. Well, it's great to learn a little bit more about what Arcade's up to. And we've talked about sort of, you know, your use case on the show before. We haven't dived deep like this. So this was super cool and excited to have you part of NFTLA. We'll see you in a few weeks, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. Great chatting. Okay, you too. Bye. Take care. Yeah, I tell you, man, being able to have like an easy button for figuring out like the estimated value of your NFT portfolio, right? Like I feel like their ability to do that like super quickly and and basically connecting your wallet would be of massive value. And they're like, hey, we can offer you this loan on this, you know, like immediately, yeah. like totally passively. I mean, game changer if they could do that, right? Mm-hmm. So very cool, very cool. So unfortunately, we didn't have the time. I just realized I wanted to ask about the other side of that equation. Would they end up with assets, right? Just just yeah. like a traditional pawnbroker, right? Maybe that's a place to go to find some deals, right? 
Yeah, there's a lot of goodness wrapped up into that. If you can plug into it, it's like pledged asset lines, you know, from traditional banks and whatnot that most people don't even know about that are out there. Keep mm-hmm. the assets you like, borrow against them. Doesn't hit your credit, doesn't hit anything else. You can manage it smartly how you want. There's a lot of goodness in there, but uh, still some complexities. Yo, I heard we have some more fan slash listener shout outs. We got some folks up in our Discord that are doing some good things we want to share. Yeah, for sure. And after that, of course, when we're wrapping up, let's make sure and give a shout out to where people can find out more about Arcade. Make sure we give a socials or or website. I don't know that we mentioned. Yeah, most definitely. uh, Yeah, fan listener shout out. Man, I'm just like, I have so much fun hanging out with the fans in Discord. And it's such a pleasure. Like we had so many months where... We, maybe they have people we already knew, right? And so we knew their their fans and friends. Uh, you know, here and there we'd run into somebody at a convention. But you know, every day there's people hanging out in the Discord. Good people, creative people, smart people. I'm really fascinated. So here's one for today. His Discord name is Herbertonic, aka Gilbert Pacheco, and he is actually working on some emojis for our Discord. He's an artist. He's an art student and a very talented guy, very supportive, positive community member. Also, I just heard the other day, he's a fellow entrepreneur. He's, he started some businesses and, you know, had his share, uh, fair share of struggles and, and wins and, and losses in those domains. We support him in that stuff. I really like this NFT collection, which I think is kind of under the radar. It's a small collection he created called the Tower Squad NFTs. This guy's obsessed with giraffes. So this is like the description there says a group of giraffes is known as a tower. It's a draft world and they invite us to join the squad. Who will you be? Bright colors, fun personalities and characters. Here's a couple descriptions. The Western Sheriff Giraffe, hard but fair. He dispenses justice with a stick shooter. The St. Louis Giraffe, lively and joyous. She goes strolling on the farty far to watch the cards, then hit the boats. And the original cool draft, charming and skilled, everyone loves him. I would say just, just definitely look up the Tower Squad and Obviously and check them out. They're really kind of and beautiful. And the prices are very reasonable if you want to grab one. Yeah. Who doesn't need a giraffe? And if you're interested in entering the pawn store, virtual that is, you can go to arcade.xyz. And they have all their information. Their app is on there, of course, and their Discord, Twitter, and Medium. We could also go on Twitter and follow them at arcade underscore XYZ. So definitely check out what these guys are doing. It's really unique and really important to our ecosystem. Most definitely. Awesome. And thanks. If you get a chance, go scroll on the farty far and check <laughs> out those cool drafts too while you're at it. That sounds pretty cool. Big, big stuff happening on all these fronts, guys. Well, look, I think that's a wrap really for today, y'all. I think... There's so much goodness wrapped into all these different things that we've been discussing today. Matt, we wanted to make sure that folks know where to follow the happenings at Solana, as well as the stuff going on with you, man. You seem to be really plugged in on a bunch of different fronts. What could we share with them? Yeah, I mean, I think in Discord are kind of like the two two main places. So we actually do all of our tech discussions on Discord and in public. So it's, it's Solana Tech, just search for that. We also list it on the Solana.com website. But yeah, if you want to just get a really intense technical conversation happening in public around blockchain development, that's a great place. But also just kind of our Twitter for Solana kind of goes over a bunch of things that are happening in public and we have a various things around that. And then myself, I'm basically at Tamgross everywhere, T-A-M-G-R-O-S. So that's Twitter, I don't know, basically everything, Telegram, Instagram, Discord, everything. There it is, folks. 
Keep a close eye, doing great things over there. We do appreciate it. And hey, I heard we're going to do a little giveaway also for some time with you, Matt, like yeah. about a half hour consulting session with you. If you got something you're thinking about putting up on Solana, got some questions, got some ideas, Matt has graciously offered some of his very, very valuable time for a giveaway. So get pumped about that. Keep an eye on our socials. We'll give you all the details via one of our contests for the giveaway. So Matt, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, guys, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our very own event, NFTLA, a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 31st. Check it out at nftla.live and move quickly as VIP tickets are gone and general admission tickets are flying off the shelves. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.